We're live. Yeah, we're live. We're live. Right. We're live. You ready to start the video? Yeah, let's start the video. You think it's going to be loud? It might be. might be a little too loud. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> It mutes us while we... Uh... Oh, we're in. Yeah, we're in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to a uh, another live episode. A live episode. Live episode. Tom. Live. Real. Tom, may I interject before we go through our intro? Yes. I'm going to put my hands on my lap. Play the music. Play, Play the music? Play the music. Okay. I don't know. It's playing out there. Oh yeah, it's fine. It's playing. Okay. This is our intro. We gotta intro play. Music. We have to play some intro music if we're gonna do this. Right. I mean, we're coming you are in. Now listening to the best best friends podcast in the world. Oh, it's coming. Yes. Are Richie's parents in the chat yet? I don't know. I don't see. It. <laughs> I told them yesterday. They're not allowed to comment. Hell yeah. All right. All right, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to us intruding I, in your dinner. It, we're, we're intruding on some beverages. <laughs> yeah. We apologize. All right. Uh, at, at the same time, we don't. We're here to have fun. I wish, you know what? This kind of feels like kind of feels like my first birthday when I sent out a bunch of invitations and nobody showed <laughs> nobody up to showed it. Nobody showed up. Yeah. And my parents were like, oh, yeah, I really wish... You know, they started bringing in kids from the neighborhood to just try and, <laughs> you know, just you try know, and make me feel like I had friends. Maybe a maybe a maybe a Tuesday in uh, in the city was a little too. Uh, it was ambitious. Yeah, we were ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, anyway, welcome, uh, welcome. Yeah, welcome everybody uh, to back to the uh, the greatest podcast to exist in the history of podcast. <laughs> uh, it's your number one source source for all things craft beer related. Yes, sir. We are the internationally acclaimed Cindy Crawford approved podcast of hops. High fives. Get, a, get in on this action. All right. High fives all around. <laughs> yes. Love it. Um, I am your host, the crispiest of boys, the king of the butt rock. Oh, that didn't come through because I turned the volume down. There we go. <laughs> and, I'm I'm Tom. <laughs> and I'm your other host. The Hot Master General, the Royer's Ford Rattlesnake. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's Dan. All right. And uh, yeah, no song this week, guys. Uh, no song. We're yeah, live. We're live. Uh, we're on location again. So we are, if you've been following our Instagram stories, which we have, uh, we've just been really hammering this in, on Instagram. Yeah, we have just been we're, making sure you see it. We're live at, uh, at Victory Tap House in Philadelphia. The brand spanking new, uh, very, it's very new smelling. There's that new car smell to it. It's got, yeah, it's got that new tap house. Smell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we are, uh, we're joined tonight by returning guest, uh, tap house. I, I, what's your, your, 
new uh do you have a new do you have a new title? title? You were it's head brewer, but I'm the only brewer, so I'm also <laughs> the assistant brewer as well. The brewer. The brewer. Head, head brewer, assistant brewer, <laughs> facilities manager. The head, the body, the feet. Yes. Everything. <laughs> Richie Case Tevlin. Show. Welcome back, Richie. Thank Welcome you. back, Richie. And, uh, and uh it, I mean if you can hear the nerves in Dan and I's voice, uh, the man sitting next to me is the reason why. We're we're joined by I think it's I the reason. I think it's one of the reasons why we have a craft beer podcast to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I would. We, we wouldn't be into craft beer if it wasn't for Victory. I would say Victory is yeah, one of the for sure stepping stones for us. I mean, when craft beer started to get popular, just proximity alone. I mean, Victory was on our doorstep. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're joined by founder and owner. Co-owner? Founder works. Brewmaster yeah, founder, works. Brewmaster. They're both on my business card. Brewmeister. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Bill Kovalevsky. Indeed. Thank you for Happy coming on with us. Oh, this yeah. is uh, oh, Bill, co-founder of Victory. I mean, God, I wish we could get an applause out there right now. It would be awesome. <laughs> it would be really cool if you know, the people were here. Were well, you know, it's really to... just a matter of timing. I volunteered to be born before you guys, and my dad volunteered <laughs> to teach me how to homebrew. So it just, you know, things just rolled into place. In order to uh, expose you guys to beer at a ripe young age, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, so you got us right at the point of beer popularity oh, for yeah. us. Yeah, that was like the. <laughs> I would say it was it was pretty much the beginning of the craft beer boom in the like mid to early two thousands, yeah, early aughts. The early aughts. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we. Uh, you know, we're the best best friends podcast in the world. Uh, we're live on location. We've uh, got we've got the guests. Do you want to do a little housekeeping? Should yeah, I do so, a little So quick housekeeping. Yeah, for everybody out there who's never heard us before, which is everybody literally who's at everybody. This bar right everybody now. outside of this <laughs> glass panes here. Everybody who's outside of this glass uh, this glass case of emotion. <laughs> um, Follow, rate, and review, guys. Uh, we are on all major podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, you can ask Alexa to play our podcast. If you like craft beer and you like people talking about craft beer and you like somewhat funny jokes, we're, we're, we're there for you. <laughs> um, all major podcast platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And tell your friends about the podcast if you like it. They might like it, too. Yeah. Uh, give us a rating. Um, what's our rating, Tom? Five star party. Five star party. That's right, guys. We want a five star rating. Um, <laughs> um, we don't care what you write in the review. Just give us five stars. You can. It's gonna be scathing review. Just tell us how bad this is. How so bad we suck. But just give us five stars so we show up better in the algorithm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as always, we're uh, we're brought to you by the uh, Hopped Up Network. Uh, Hopped Up Network is a ever-growing craft beer uh, podcast network. Uh, it's full of independent craft beer podcasts, much like our own. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram. Uh, it's at Hopped Up Network. And www.hoppedupnetwork.com is the website. Hell yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. Uh, so nice and compact. A nice and compact uh, housekeeping there. Nice, yeah. Keep it nice and, uh, nice and compact because we're on location, so it's time to... Uh, now it's time to get down to business. I mean, this is something that we've been waiting for. I mean, we've we've talked to Richie, and our last podcast with Richie, I would say, was pretty fun. I'm just gonna say it right now. From um, what I remember, from what it was <laughs> it was it was fun. It was very fun. Yeah, we we drank a lot. Um, <laughs> Richie, Richie sent like a, a case of crowlers over, and he was Richie, like, "How many crowlers were in there?" I think there were six or seven. 
Um, Seven crowlers. Mm. Yeah. When, oh, when on a we Tuesday drink, night. Yeah. So when we drink at the brewery, we're drinking, you know, one or two sips. Like, I forget that other people actually drink entire beers. So um, <laughs> I was a little bit ambitious. You were very ambitious. We, and we started. I was very ambitious as well because I had to find a Uber at 10 o'clock at night in suburban Chester County yeah. on a Tuesday. Mm -mm. Didn't go well. Didn't wow. go well. He almost slept at, the, at my house. I almost slept, in the, uh, almost slept in the studio. Yeah. So Richie very intelligently sets the bar very high so we can all crawl under it with sufficient space <laughs> if that's the case at the time. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty spot on. I will say he set the bar for all future brewers that we had on there. I'm like, so you think they're going to send seven crawlers for this one? <laughs> Should you have your guest bedroom made up, Tom, for me? <laughs> I mean, we did get a case last week. Yeah, we did. That was, uh, <laughs> that was very interesting. He was like, I don't know. We can try them all. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got 30 beers here. I don't know if you guys are ready. Yeah, um, so sitting here in the uh, Tap House second yeah. floor, I'm looking over at the many, many taps you guys have here. And I am impressed, but also terrified. I'm so glad we're doing five-ounce pours. <laughs> yeah, that's 30 staring at us right there. I'm not sure we need to do them all. I think 30 at like my like early to mid-20s. I'd be like, yeah, that's not, that sounds doable. <laughs> of course. 30 oh. taps at like, mid to late 30s now. I'm like, I just exhale. I'm like, ah. I can already feel the headache coming on. <laughs> um, I think we got a we have a question already coming in here, Dan. Awesome. Yeah, actually, we do have one here from uh, Twitch. We got. Uh, so, does Victory only brew their own beer and not contract brew? So, do you contract for other breweries? I think is what they're asking. Um, so, with our affiliation with our partners at Six Point Brewery. Uh, we do produce the six-point beers, but oh, okay. we are all part of the family, so technically I would not call that a contract. Mm -hmm. um, we are the facility that produces the six-point beers in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Oh, very so, cool. Wow. It's like, like a coalition, yeah. maybe, or something like that. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the tap room in, in Red Hook, uh, New York, is producing, you know, sort of R&D versions of six-point beers as well. So we have this this pipeline of innovation that comes to us. But, uh, yeah, that's been the arrangement since we, the partnership began. Oh, very cool. Yeah, brewing at the production facility, it doesn't – when we brew the six-point beers, it, you know, it really does feel like we're brewing the victory beers. Like, Absolutely. even though we're victory employees, um, it, it's definitely not a contract brew situation. Okay. Oh, very wow, cool. yeah. So so with that, do they, do they send you the recipes, or are you guys working on them in – collaboration it's been sort of an evolution uh since the start of this going back to 2018 um we adopted uh, a bunch of recipes that came originally from the taproom brewery and um, then optimized them in conversation with the six point brewers uh how they were going to work best in our breweries okay. and um you know and we had six point brewers on site as well so it, it really is a collaborative effort um both parties working as a team in order to create the best results possible that's very cool awesome yeah i mean speaking of you know getting into victory beer yeah i mean let's uh i think we're gonna let's get some beers together what are we we're starting out with uh donny bro yes um we need to get jesse or fox over here to get some pours so uh Richie, since uh, while we wait for the beer, um, I can probably go run off and grab it if you guys want to 
And we could also talk chatting. about the history behind yeah, you yeah. know the, the, the beer in question, yeah, right? Look. I mean, you know, an Irish stout is perhaps not cutting edge right now in craft beer, <laughs> is it? It's probably not getting a lot of Instagram likes. But hey, you know, we're here in March and it's a fan fantastic thing to have available to us and uh, it was born at a time when there were um, taps in play for uh, nitro right mm -hmm. so at one point you know Guinness dominated all the nitro taps and then other nitro taps started to happen uh, Boddington's grabbed a lot of them but yeah nitro taps were a thing and they were in play and we were able to uh, transition from a product brewed abroad to a product brewed here in Pennsylvania for a lot of uh, a lot of other bars and restaurants. That's very cool, and it's funny you say like you know Guinness and Boddington's. Uh, at college, I worked at an Irish mm -hmm. pub, and those were the two nitro choices. Yeah, yep. yeah. those are the only two you would see back then. And one was golden, one was dark. What else do you need? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, you saw the evolution. More people experimenting with nitro, and mm -hmm. I remember. I remember the one. I know exactly day. what you're going to talk you about, know? Daniel. So I had I had an American IPA that was on nitro, and I remember texting Tom, being like, "I don't know if I don't know if an IPA has its place in nitro." <laughs> like, <laughs> I did. I was. And which which now? I mean, there's there's so many, and it, yeah. it seems to be commonplace. And to be honest, I've actually enjoyed a few. At that time, I was though, you know, it was that time that uh, Bill mentioned. You know, it's. All of the uh, it was not, it was stouts it was sure. yes yeah. and that was the thing. and I think that's what you know you get used to those those styles like the you know the creamy dark style on nitro and that's what you're looking for and you know you have a, a bitter IPA on nitro it's it's kind of a knock to the senses there yeah you know absolutely yeah I'm, I'm with you there but i think that's one of the beautiful things that we as craft beer producers and you as craft beer uh critics or promoters have have done a great job of and that is you know rolling with the punches and um learning yeah. to appreciate new opportunities things that at first blush kind of shock us and then when we actually take a little bit more time in appreciating the nuances of those things we realize that yes they're new and different but they're equally beautiful in some ways we never really fathomed before. Yeah, I mean, you now you put a IPA on nitro, it sounds crazy, but 10 years ago, if you said that an IPA had, you know, 20% oats, 20% wheat, you know, that, was that awesome sounds crazy. Yeah. And now, you know, 90% yeah. of the IPAs in the market are hazy IPAs for right. adjuncts. Yeah, it definitely, the newer styles of IPA definitely lend themselves more to that nitro, the, the nitro texture. The mouthfeel. Yeah, exactly. mouth yeah. Definitely. yeah. Yeah, a, a nice bitter, creamy, piney, resinous beer isn't exactly appetizing. <laughs> you uh, phrase that so well. Yeah, creamy <laughs> just is the word that doesn't fit there. Yeah. Um, well, speaking right, so, of creamy, let's, yeah, uh, have, uh, let's get down to business with Donnybrook. So, yeah, a whopping 3.7% ABV. Ooh, um, watch out. Nitro poured full of roasted, uh, roasted malt deliciousness and... English hops for an earthier edge. So cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Wow. So a little inside baseball while they're uh, finishing their sips there. You guys all had a nice fresh pint of Donnybrook uh -huh. at dinner before we started this podcast. And so I'm kind of coming in as my, you know, the first, the first sip on the actual podcast. And 
God, I love that. Nitro Stout's just... They hit different. Yeah, they have a special place in my heart. Like, just the mouthfeel, the creaminess, um, just the general softness of the beer. Yeah. What I like about this is I've kind of been harping on it a lot lately is I'm really in that low ABV zone recently. You know, I've, I've been really liking the, uh, the low ABV beers and I love a good stout, but you can only really have like one, maybe two stouts if you're feeling adventurous. Uh, but this is one that you could have a couple of them and not, you're not getting that bloat. You're not, you know, it's not something that's crushing your palate. It's not, you know, a, a huge roasted malt flavor. Well, it's got that dry. Yeah, it's an Irish yeah. dry style. It's very, you know, somewhat light in body with, you know, what's kind of coming through, um, mm-hmm. especially on my palate. Yeah, and the nitro helps with that also. You're not, it's, you know, less carbonation, so, you know, less exactly. harsh in your stomach, less filling. I think also, you know, the, the lush quality of the way these beers are produced uh, with the nitro supporting that as well is something that sort of throws the mind off because, you know, we do tend to look at them as filling, but they're really only filling in the mouth. Um, you can enjoy a fair amount of this in terms of volume, but your mind is sort of, mind perceives them as something you should not drink a whole lot of. There's a conundrum Interesting, that they yeah. set up. I know we're live in victory. I almost made a filling in the mouth joke right there. And I'm sorry. I, just, I was very close to being. I was like, oh man, we have a crowd out there. Never mind. This isn't. This isn't in Tom's office doing a studio live show. Oh my gosh, we don't mean to handcuff you guys. Come on. <laughs> so where did uh, I was like, that's what she said. Where did the recipe for this originate? This is really pretty traditional. It's something that uh, Ron and I just produced uh, back when. Gosh, this is probably going back to 2004 three or four and um we as i use the word traditional we weren't really trying to stretch out and do anything all that different um the use of whole flower hops and the use of english hops we believe gave it sort of an earthier edge to uh the the standard which is guinness and we were proud to hang our hat on those small nuances yeah kind of having an ode to you know where where it started to kind of where it is now and yeah it's yeah, it's nice. Um, there is like an earthy floralness to like mm-hmm. the hop character with this that I do enjoy, and then the roasted malt finish combined with the nitro, it's just an all-around pleasant sip. And you know, for somebody who may think, like you said, stouts might be heavy, this is something where I would say you could take a few rounds of, you right? Know, yeah, have a couple. And, and it's funny because it's called a Donnybrook, and <laughs> a Donnybrook is you know kind of like a brawl. It's you know it's kind of funny that you could take a few rounds of this beer. <laughs> And you guys call it a Donnybrook. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Dan's so, doing your marketing for you. I can't believe we secured that name. It was just like hanging out there waiting for us. I know. Of all the uh, of all the like Irish theme names you could get for an Irish dry style, nobody had Donnybrook. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so as far as uh, you know, the technicals about this go, it's it, the flavor is there. Uh, like I said, it's not it's not too heavy handed on any real any one aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, is very well balanced uh mouth feels there obviously with the nitro um you're getting that nice creamy texture um does have a little bit of that carb backbone to it um it, it, the lacing on the glass is really look at that really i got nice. a zebra yeah. i got zebra going down right here yeah. <laughs> um good head you know really Beautiful. good head retention on it um yeah it's just really 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 enjoyable one of the nuances of making stouts also though is how you incorporate your 
your roast stout, or I'm sorry, your, your roast malt, because there's a there's an acidic edge to a good stout that you need to incorporate, and that's, I believe, the easy place to miss the mark from a brewer's perspective. And I, I think this one that. has just enough sort of lactic sharpness to uh, put it solidly in the style and separate it from some things that try and be that. Uh, so, Richie, we're in your new your new home. Your new digs. Yeah, this is your your uh, you're in a home game here. So, tell us how the uh, the tra- the transition from your uh, your R and D role and over in you were in Downingtown, right? Uh, or you were in Parkersburg, Parkersburg Downingtown, okay. and Kennedy Square. So, okay, so it's you're, all over the place. Uh, so now you're here. How's the transition been going from here? That you know you're roll there to here um it's been great this is honestly the best job i've ever had there's <laughs> um you know they gave me you know a half million dollar brew house and just said you know go for it you know i have all the equipment all the resources i need all the backing from victory as far as support all the knowledge of all the you know managers back at parksburg and downingtown um and you know I basically, you know, can do what I want here, um, and I have the resources to do it, and it's, it's been incredible. Richie, um, Richie, I know, I know, Bill's right next to you, but blink twice if you need help. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's it's awesome. I've never worked in a brew pub like this, and you know, it's very motivating. You know, like when I'm working, and I'm like I look out, and like, you know, sometimes when you're working in a production brewery, you know, you kind of miss, you know, what you're working for. You, you know, you you're passionate about craft beer. But you might be in the cellar for you know six months at a time, and you know not see you know direct consumer sales. That like you know why are you passionate about this? Where I get to see that every day. You know in the brew house, up at the bar, you know people are coming in, not drinking, not not just drinking you know the victory beers, but the beers that that I made myself. And it's like it's very motivating. Um, also, some days it's also unmotivating. Like my friends <laughs> will be in here, it'll be a nice day. I don't be like this is. This is very tempting. Um, I think you're the only one who actually had friends show up to this. None of our friends actually made it out here. <laughs> I saw. I think I saw one of your friends flip you off earlier. <laughs> it's good. Very fitting. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole facility is beautiful. Uh, I mean, you have two floors, an outdoor area. Uh, it's just really incredible what you guys did with the space yeah i mean it's the the graphics the space you know how the bars are set up all the staff here the kitchen staff like even like when we first opened out like i was here during throughout the whole construction the whole planning and i was blown away you know i was you know we we were doing so it it seems like we didn't skip a beat from when when we opened and you know it's very exciting to be a part of it I mean, it, the outdoor area, I know you guys haven't really, you haven't been open for the warm weather yet, but once that gets going, the outdoor, you guys are sitting on Logan Square, you got a, a view of, the, of City Hall, you got a view of the, the museum. It's it's really, that place, that area is going to be packed to the gills. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I jump in here on the, uh, the outdoor space, it's kind of funny. Ron and I pulled a little bit of executive privilege because this really is Richie's brew house. It's his opportunity to interact with everyone who walks through our doors, learn what people are interested in and brew those things, brew the things that he's interested in, brew the things that other people tell him to. It's really in a way going back to 1996 in Downingtown when Ron and I were all ears and a bunch of malt sacks and a bunch of hops. But 
the thing I was going to say about being outside is um, he's got a Maybach in the tanks, and that <laughs> makes Ron and I extremely happy. Yeah, yeah you don't see too many Maybachs yeah. out. So they both came up to me individually and asked for a Maybach, and I was thinking, like, for maybe a week, I was like, how am I going to, like, Get That's avoid a lot, this. Like, a I don't know. I want to ruin my box. And I thought about like, why am I not listening to them? Like these two created <laughs> victory. Like they clearly know what they're talking about. Like I need to ruin my box. Well, one reason not to listen to us is like how many guys, how many people really like my box, right? It's not the well, biggest not yet. style. Not yet. But yes, right here on the parkway with ample outdoor space in the early spring. I think, you know what? We're going to bring my box back, baby. I think I, springtime I, is my box season. Yeah. Like people... It, it's definitely a seasonal thing for us, I guess, in the beginning of spring. Like, you know, we get a lot of the uh, the German styles mm-hmm. with, like, what's close to us, you know, being in the Philly suburbs. Mm-hmm. You know, we get a lot of the my box and box and goats, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, that actually was the justification that we have outdoor dining space because my box are designed to transition people from indoor to outdoor drinking in Germany in a season when mother nature isn't necessarily complying so give everybody a golden beer make it stronger so they don't really mind the chill Mm -hmm. and give them a chance to be outside early i i mean you said you know uh, who's ordering a mybach but (laughs) me cool (laughs) i love i love a good mybach we're raising our hands to that (laughs) i think we both lit up when we uh were taking a little tour of the brew area downstairs Mm. and when he said yeah uh, two weeks ago we did a mybach sitting in a tank there we all just went "Mm." (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if I'm going to do my Bach, I'm going to do it right. So we're going to actually lager it and, uh, you know, have it conditioned until May. So I'm excited for it to come out. I like it, yeah. Taking out, taking up that, that uh, taking up some real estate. Yeah, take, take some old fermenter. Know, what, what, um, but we got, you know, two yeah. customers right here. You got to find 998 more. Um, <laughs> ready to go. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a good transition here. You know, is it is it intimidating brewing beer that you know – Bill and Ron are going to be tasting. I mean, they're like some of the OGs of craft beer around here. I mean, I think it's exciting. It's an opportunity. No I think pressure, it's Richie. like to go on it and say that uh, I would be scared to do it. You know, like there's home brewers and brewers all around the world that would probably, you know, love to have Bill and Ron taste their beer and give their feedback. And, you know, I get to do that on a weekly basis. So, um, you know, it's a cool opportunity. Well phrased. I mean, we don't hire people who are easily intimidated and hopefully every step afterwards is just about encouragement and being part of the team to get it right. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely an interesting position that Richie's in because I know when in our first episode when you're kind of explaining what your position was, doing the R&D, doing experimental beers, um, it's not really something that gets associated with Victory. You know, Victory was always that traditional style, traditional beers. Uh, you and Ron both have German backgrounds. Um, so it was always that traditional style. And then when you, you, Richie's telling us, oh, I'm doing a double dry hot prima pills. And I'm doing, you know, an IPA with the, the golden monkey yeast. It's, <laughs> it's cool. It's like you get to see these guys coming in and kind of taking a spin on what you guys had it, it was developed. Eye, it was eye-opening. See, and yeah. you, you highlighted it. We always thought of victory as like, we always kind of coined this phrase, the old guard, mm-hmm. like of craft beer. You guys were like the tried and true, like you brought us into the fray and everything. And to see kind of this R&D department blossom to the point where you guys have a dedicated brew house now. 
that's just doing tradition or doing these experimental beers. And it's, it's just, I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome yeah. to see someone as big as Victory do something like this. Well, you know, everything has a life, right? And the things that don't evolve have a shorter life. And the tremendous energy that brewers like Richie and many, many others have brought into our organization has to be recognized and respected. Um, we do want these things to evolve, these beers. There's certain things we want to keep consistent forever because they're nearly perfect as is. Yet at the same time, I mean, all of them are opportunities for um, evolution. And uh, we should fully utilize those opportunities. Oh, no, totally. And it's, I, I kind of liked what Richie uh, mentioned before, being going from large production to the smaller scale, getting down to almost that kind of like artisan mindset now where you're going back to this smaller scale where you can sit and do, you know, hey, I have this idea for something that you know, I'm passionate about and you can do tests and you have this kind of, you know, brew house to do that in coming from like the production standpoint. And you mentioned before, I guess, when you were doing the R&D over in, um, I guess, the production facility, you had a smaller system there that you were doing stuff on, correct? We did. It was a homebrew system. Um, I mean, very pimped out homebrew system um, that any homebrew <laughs> would die for. But yes, it was a half row system, a lot of stuff um, on, on a larger production scale. Yet, like I, I like the word uh, artisanal that you said before, because Bill and I were talking about this before where a lot of my stuff is very hands-on. And when you make beers larger in a larger facility, you know, there's a lot more testing points. There's a lot more control points that you have where on a smaller system, you know, those, those things get closed out. So, you know, on the stuff that I can control, I have to be totally in control of it. And, you know, on the half barrel system, I love a half barrel system because, you know, for better or worse, I do have to sell everything here. Right. So on the half barrel system, you know, I, I might take some risks where like, I don't know what this is going to be like, but, you know, like, let me check. If it doesn't work, it's one keg. You know, um, we're here. Um, it's kind of like an in-between on that where, you know, I do get to do some stuff that's very cool and innovative. Um, but, uh, like, I don't have to, you know, make sure that this beer, you know, is going to be like some production production beer. And I guess speaking of beers here, uh, Donnybrook is a tap house only one here as well? Is this one that's... Yeah, it's, it's never been packaged, um, so you can't even get a growler full of it because of the nitro service. So it uh, really is a uh, an on on premise only thing to enjoy. Is it only here at the tap house, or is it lo uh, available at uh, Victory Tap Rooms? Okay, all yeah. Victory Tap Rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Tap rooms. Yeah. yeah, and we've heard from other breweries about like the I guess the trials and tribulations of like packaging nitro and like having to get a separate like whole canning operation just to put that nitro into the cans. And, you know, some of the, I mean, even at the smaller scale, just like what they have to go through to do that. So I think this beer is made to be drinking a pub though. But yeah, yeah. exactly. An Irish dry out stout bar. like this. Yeah. This is, this is a beer that hopefully doesn't lead to a Donnybrook in the bar, but <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, I guess we can go in the final thoughts. I mean, this was an all-around just well-balanced, yeah. oh yeah, super approachable stout for anybody who's getting into craft beer and may not, you know, may have had a Guinness in the past, but you know wants to return to the style and you know try it, you know, tr I guess try it at the craft beer level, you know, try it, at, you know, try it from victory and see what it's all about. Yeah, I mean the yeah, it's got excellent drinkability. Um, it definitely has that return factor. Um, to where you can have a couple of them, um, 
yeah, overall, I mean, just, it's just a well-rounded beer and perfect for, you know, a holiday that might be coming up soon. Mm-hmm. I love that term, uh, return factor. It's a good one. So one of the things that I think we were also touching on is the perception of victory as you know, an old guard brewery. Um, it's true that when you go to a package store to purchase your beer, there's only certain varieties you're going to find at this point. You're going to find Golden Monkey, you're going to find Sour Monkey, you're going to find Dirt Wolf, and maybe that's it. Um, but then you come to one of our tap rooms and you're staring at 24 victory options plus a handful of affiliated brands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is sort of a tale of two different operations for us. And this is what gives uh, Richie tremendous leverage and opportunity because he gets to produce beers for a single location and customers who visit here get to enjoy them on site and basically nowhere else. Um, so I think that that's one of the, the things that is uh, probably not current in people's perception of victory is the taproom experience and how much innovation and um you know, amazing things are available to them. Agreed. And yeah. especially coming out of the last two years and bringing the tap house mentality back mm-hmm. um, and, you know, victory sitting, uh, you know, staring down the barrel of, you know, 24 taps over there, just, just sweating because I just want to try every single one. <laughs> and it's, it's nice to have that, um, that feeling again after the last two years of not being able to have that tap house experience, you had to rely on packaged good, like packaged beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I guess Donnybrook is a testament to, you know, kind of bringing that tap house, you know, mentality back to breweries. Yeah. I mean, you look at like what a lot of the cool hype breweries are doing right now. They're making sour beers, they're making lagers, they're making hazy IPAs. Um, and to come in here, you know, I would, you know, do a matchup against any of our, you know, lagers and sour beers against any of these other people. I think what we're doing is very impressive, um, and I think that, uh, you know, people would like when they came in. They're, they're going to be, you know, surprised by all the offerings that we have here. I mean, I can't even tell you how many brewers' ears lit up when we told them that we were having double dry hop Prima Pills. <laughs> yeah, know, it, when that was first, they were like, wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know you don't like guys don't like the uh, the big uh, untapped. <laughs> but uh, they, what I do we say was... about untapped, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it has its time and place, but it, it was ranked uh, you know top ten Pilsner on untapped last year. Um, now you know that was the first year it came out. Just like I think that's a testament to you know we do make amazing bloggers here. You know, and that's not me. I'm I'm not working in production anymore. You know, those are my coworkers and. Parksburg and Downingtown and like they're all incredibly smart and talented and you know I, I love our lagers you know I have a keg of it a keg of premium pills in my house you know I would put our lagers up against you know anybody else in the area or the I, country I really think that the double dry hop prima pills was a testament <clears throat> excuse me a testament to both Bill and yourself that you know prima pills is like a, a, a standard in in the Pilsner category and the fact that you were able to take that, innovate on it, and get people excited, like, oh, now he's doing this with, you know, with that beer that we all love so much, you know, we get a different variation of it that's exciting. Um, so it's definitely, a, you know, a testament to both of you guys. I mean, the whole thing, the production team crushed it. Um, the, the, the graphics for the can art were amazing. Yeah. Um, that's another thing where, you know, we have incredibly talented graphic design team, and, you know, when you get to see, like, what they put out, you know, on the new fresh products, you know, it's 
awesome looking can. And Tom, to your point, you know, part of what we do as brewers is a large part of what we do is we deliver the same anticipated quality to the consumer time and time again, despite the fact that uh, growing conditions and mother nature are giving us radically, potentially radically different ingredients year over year. So um, for us who love Prima Pills inside the brewery walls and for those who love it outside of the walls, making it the same over and over and over again is a fascination and a dedication that we believe in. But then to take that moment and say, okay, now we're going to do something different with it, but it's going to be very methodical. We're going to brew Prima Pills as a base beer, and then we're going to dry hop it with hops that we admire, don't use all that often, from the Southern Hemisphere, just to see where this would go. Yeah, and I guess going back to the, uh, the can design of that beer, uh, before we move on to this uh, next tasty beverage in front of me, um, you guys had like a, a number, I guess, associated with that version of Prima Pills. Are you guys going to be doing different variations of it with different hops? Well, that's the the number on the back of the small batch series. So that was the number two beer that came out or number three beer that came out of the small batch series. So um, I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure. Are we doing that again? It's a, we are, and it's a very perceptive question on your part. So Richie answered it properly. That's just naming, you know, numbering the series, okay. the place in the series. Yet at the same time, because these hops are dry hops, we're not beholden to them. They're not the heart and the soul. They're the, exactly. they're the overlay. Yeah. And so. I, I will tell you, when we are indeed that those beers, we tried it out with four or five different style combos of dry hops. You know, that was the one that we selected, but they, we could have put any one of them out. You know, they were all awesome. Um, I've already put one out as the Parkway Pilsner here. Um, it was very receptive, so I think we can continue to see those here. So you can do – I'm excited for the <laughs> New Zealand Prima Pills, and the <laughs> Pacific Northwest Prima Pills. Yeah, that's – yeah, exactly. That's where I kind of had I had questions, and I didn't know if we were going to bring up dry hop uh, Prima Pills, but that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you was that. Um, but I guess – so what? Yeah, what do we have in front of us? What do we now? have in front of us right now? I've been dipping my nose in. <laughs> this is very monkey. So this is the newest iteration in the monkey series. An infant, a couple weeks old. Baby monkey. Yeah, baby <laughs> monkey. Um, a very important distinction here with it is that it is the standard nine point five percent of the monkey family because we have by testing things um, with our audience, we found that that's really part of the DNA that people appreciate and so with uh golden monkey as um one of the top selling belgian style beers in the united states and sour monkey as the top sour selling in the united states there's some big shoes for berry monkey to potentially fill but uh we're happy with this uh this fuzzy little infant <laughs> well cheers guys yeah, let's get in this. let's uh let's get into uh, the baby monkey baby berry monkey say that five times fast So this is this is nine point five percent. Yeah, I think that's uh, important to note here. Where this is not, you know, tastes like a four percent beer, but this is, you know, you can crush this beer. You can crush this beer, and that is dangerous. But I, I've always felt like the the Monkey series, you know, dating back to Golden Monkey was Golden Monkey wasn't a crazy boozy, over the top beer. It was very drinkable. Very yeah, very approachable. Mm. And I think what Bill said as we were kind of getting into this beer is uh, the 9.5% being a part of this beer's DNA and how 
I guess our table conversation during dinner kind of went talking about like our exploits with Golden Monkey and every, how they've led to some amazing evenings and every, some terrible mornings. And everybody, everybody has Golden Monkey stories, yeah. in the, especially in this area. I feel like everybody has had a has had a great story that started with. So we had some Golden Monkey. <laughs> it, it was it was a beer that came out in a time where you weren't getting a ton of like high ABV beers and six packs. Four packs they were in. Were they four packs? <laughs> no, we were always six packs. Yeah, they were six always, packs. Yeah, yeah, it was always six packs. packs. Um, so you weren't getting a ton of that, and it was a beer you can go down to the pizza shop and pick up yep. and. It was probably the highest ABV beer there that wasn't in a bomber. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, that was the thing. And it was everywhere. Because nothing said food pairing like a pizza and a Belgian like a beer. pizza and a Belgian triple. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, a couple of observations on the wonderful points you guys just made. Um, for me, the brewmaster's assignment is to make the alcohol as seductive as possible. And it's not because we're trying to get anyone in trouble. It's because our clientele enjoys flavor over effect and you know if you really do like the flavor of alcohol well there's Everclear out there go go (laughs) at it Um, but so we really you know we we try and make the alcohol seductive and palatable in the context of a traditionally flavored beer that tries to you know uh, is built for appreciation the other thing that I think is remarkable about sort of the monkey experiences that you kind of touched on is that, you know, Richie and I, and please jump in at any moment, but I feel that we're very, very fortunate in the careers that we have and the opportunities we have, because when we go to work thinking that we're just going to make great flavors out of great quality ingredients for people to enjoy, the fact of the matter is those things are served. Those things are served to people who bring their friends, their family. The conversation ensues, pictures are taken, jokes are made and everything. So at the end of the day, we think we're making liquid, but we're actually helping people make memories. And that's the coolest job you could ever possibly have. Yeah, it's really well put. Yeah, Bill the wordsmith over here. I, I got goosebumps when he said making the beer seductive. I was like, Ooh. I was like, man, Bill. Yeah, keep talking dirty to me. <laughs> I mean, um, he did give me dinner first, but man. <laughs> no flowers, though. So, um, so well, Dan, let's talk about the beer here. Yeah, so uh, right off the bat, we both agreed. 9.5%. Very, it's hidden. It's very seductive. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the uh, I love the berry flavor. Like, what kind of berries did you guys go into like with this beer to choose in the brewing process? It's skewed toward raspberry. That's what I thought. Okay, um, there's I think there's a few in there, but it's definitely skewed toward raspberry. And it comes through as like a a fresh, you know, more tart berry where not like you're just slopping a bunch of puree in there with some sugar and making it like a sweet kind of beer. It it's. I think it, it really complements the the Belgian style. There's um, an underlying, like I wouldn't a, say, like a little bit of clove, a little bit of banana, kind of of the Belgian, mm-hmm. kind of coming in at the end on your palate, kind of sitting there after like the initial sour hit. Yeah, definitely still in the monkey family. It's not some, you know, another nine and a half percent beer that we made. You know, it, it definitely still has, you know, that that monkey backbone, that golden sour monkey share. So, is this part of the sour monkey series, or is it the gold monkey series? I don't know if there is a different. I think it's just the monkey series. Okay. Um, I mean, is it sour? Is it 
With it's the, definitely it's, yeah. sour. It's not yeah. as sour as Sour Monkey, um, but it, it's definitely a sour beer. So with the with the Sour Monkey, do you kettle sour that? Yes. You kettle sour with the Belgian yeast? It's Well, kettle sour to begin with, then fermented with the West Mall so, Belgian yeast. So this so this guy is, is interesting. When measured after fermentation, it ends up being um, 20% less acidic than sour monkey. Oh wow! So, so that yeah, that was what the reason for my questions because it, it doesn't mm-hmm. like you said it's not it doesn't have that kettle sour acidity to it. But I think that if you were to drink it side by side with sour monkey, you would probably find them remarkably similar on that base level as well. That was actually the toughest part of this assignment because it has golden, it has sour, and it has to represent a new flavor on top of it. So there yeah, was, so like. Just to go through, like, you know, the basic flavors, bitter, sour, sweet, um, umami, you know, so, like, making a good beer, you want to balance some of those out to make it drinkable. So, maybe the Sour Monkey skews more towards sour. This, with the fruit addition, maybe bends that a little bit closer to the sweeter side than with the lower acidity. Okay. You know, makes it maybe perceive sweeter than it is sour. Which, I, I mean... I think you did a really well job, or really well done job. Really uh, well job. Really well job. You did a good really well, well job. Well done job of achieving that umami factor, you know, that you, you mentioned. Because I was expecting to get a very tart, kettle soury kind of beer. A little bit hitting the adenoids. A yeah, bit, exactly. Yeah. And this is, it's very soft. Uh, it it has it, a freshness to it. Like it. it tastes like fresh fruit uh, where it's not very it's not overly artificial it's not i mean it's not artificial at all it's it, it has that fresh flavor to it um, but it still has that belgian backbone the most seductive <laughs> 9.5 beer i've ever had you may recall <laughs> that we uh we barrel aged golden monkey in uh white wine chardonnay barrels yes. and released it as the white monkey and that was ugh, 2003. Um, but really, what we learned there was that the monkey was a fantastic base to overlay other flavors. Now, sour monkey was a little bit more of open heart surgery, where we were really <laughs> working with the, the actual fermentation process and really reconstructing the beer from the base up. But uh, now, as we go into berry monkey, it's a little bit more of the mindset of what can we, how can we enhance, what can we overlay, and how do these flavors work together? Because we would hope that this beer would give you a different ride than the other monkeys. Meaning, the berry comes first, the sour comes next, and then at some point you think, wow, this is a lot like a golden monkey as well. No, that's a that's a very good description mm-hmm. of the entire like tasting notes I'm kind of receiving, you know, with every every sip, and I. Also, as you were talking about it, I also thought about the approachability of this beer, too, because, I mean, we all know, and, you know, sours are big right now, especially fruited sours. Mm -hmm. And to have something like this in the ring kind of makes makes the Monkey Series approachable to those people who are into, like, the fruited beers. Like, oh, you know, what kind of fruited beers do you guys have? And this is something that you can kind of sneak in there people enjoy it and they will have no idea that it's like part of the monkey series and they probably don't even know about the monkey series. Yeah. There's, I mean, as a brewer, you know, I, I like all types of beers, you know, there's some beers that we make where I'm like, 
I don't think people are going to like this, but I, this is my favorite beer. You know, like maybe like it adds more bitter than normal or it has this noble hop character that just like some people just aren't into that type of flavor. But, you know, when you drink this beer, you're like, you can see like, I could see a lot of people that maybe aren't traditional beer drinkers could still drink this beer. Um, and then, you know, traditional beer drinkers as well can appreciate mm -hmm. it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, it's a, I think it's a very, very approachable beer. Um, so, Dan, we have Bill here. I, I, I know. And to be honest, I, I am so impressed. And I just want to give props to Tom <laughs> that he hasn't accidentally mentioned a Trogues beer instead of a Victory beer. I thought he was going to get so nervous that he'd like mention the wrong beer. The night is young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just down that. Uh, I know. He just had a 9.5% beer. He might just go into like a like a Troganator diatribe and be like, Tom, 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 it's the wrong brewery. Come on. <laughs> it was a Joe Rogan, right? <laughs> um, We're not canceled yet. So tell us, uh, give us a little backstory of, you know, how you became a titan of craft beer. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I'm throwing titles around. The titan of craft beer. Um, so in sometime in 1979, my father, who was um, extremely resourceful because he grew up on, in hard conditions in the coal regions post-Depression. Um, so he was a gardener, canner, pickler, sauerkraut maker. Uh, decided that he was going to start making beer. And I was his apprentice on every project, uh, whether it was cabinetry or concrete work. So uh, one day the assignment was beer. And, you know, I did everything he told me to do, and I had mild interest in it. And then um, five years later, or uh, in 1985, as a graduate of Temple University, I had a different appreciation of beer. And so I took up his kit and gave one to Ron, and uh, we just started following our passion. I worked at the time then as a uh, graphic designer and art director. Ron was working in financial and cost analysis, um, and eventually home brewing kind of took over our lives. We took apprentice jobs at the Baltimore Brewing Company, um, sadly defunct in 2003, and learned under a German-trained Dutch brewmaster, then both went to schools in Germany, Ron at Weinstefan, myself at Domans, and, uh, and we convinced our wives to let us write a business plan And on New Year's Eve of 1993-94, and, you know, the rest was kind of fumbling around until Richie joined us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's high praise over there rich <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> uh so I, I mean i think we like we mentioned when we were at the table that dan and i kind of grew up with victory that yeah was, i mean we we what turned 21 in 2007 2008 was it i believe it's like, I guess when we were Math able... is not good for shows. No. Yeah, it's yeah. not. I mean, uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a while. Yeah, um, 2007. Yeah, 2007 yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Um, so at the time when we are when we start drinking craft beer, it's Victory, Trogue, Sly Fox. Those were the, Those are know, the big three, three. options. Um, you know, Yards was in there, peppered in there a little bit. Yeah, a I mean... A little bit of stouts was... maybe from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it, it was yeah. it was regional for us, mm -hmm. um, especially. I mean, we got yards every now and then because it started trickling out to us. But yeah, we primarily started being so you know close proximity to Phoenixville and Downingtown. It was you know it was Victory and Sly Fox mm -hmm. and then you know getting Trogues every now and then. So like 
that's where like and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast about the, the big three the old garden like we had just so much admiration and like every single story of like our craft beer upbringing victory is like you know it's name dropped almost yeah. all the time and Baltic Thunder, Storm King, Dirt Wolf. Just nights by the fire. Yeah. Like, you know, 21 <laughs> years old, listening to fun, heavy music and drinking good beer. So yeah. I turned 21 in 2014. And, Jesus. you know, it was, it was the same thing, only different beers. You know, for me, it was Summer Love. It was Sour Monkey. You know, it oh, was, so old. you know, <laughs> but probably the same experiences you had where, like, you know, Victor's been stable here, you know, for so long. My back just started hurting when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the one thing I'll just interject is that the, the point of pride I have in having been a part of your introduction to craft beer, you know, each and every one of you. It's a, it's an honor and a privilege, right? You know, um, I often think that if I had been born at a different time and had been a devious person, I would have been a drug dealer rather than a beer maker because I love seeing people have new experiences. And and one is a lot more benign than the other. So, you know, um, creating new beer flavors for people to appreciate is, uh, as I said, an honor and a privilege. Man, how close were we to having a strain of weed just called Golden Monkey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you guys trying to get that Golden Monkey done? <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's still time. We'll, we'll, get, still a, time. we'll get a victory dispensary at some point. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's becoming more popular in Pennsylvania, though, mm-hmm. so only time can tell. <laughs> so it is, it, it's interesting because, like we said, you know, we're growing up with, with you know, you guys, Trogues, uh, Sly Fox. For a long time, it was victory was traditional styles, you know, and it goes back to your, you know, your German brewing background. It's it was a lot of that German influence, and um, it, it's great to see, you know, you guys getting into, and I think it, it, it goes a lot with the, you know, as we like to call the old guard. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked to Sly Fox. Um, they're, you know, when we talked to Sly Fox, they were just starting to put hazies in a can to put out the distribution right, right. so it's like it, it, it's it's very cool to see these again old guard breweries not just rest on their laurels and kind of innovate with the time keep up with you know what the trends are um you know i mentioned when i went into uh kennett square mm-hmm. you know three years ago and saw uh cloud walker on the board and i was like all right yeah they're doing a yep, new england cool <laughs> uh so um, well, I guess, you know, in, in those terms is we've always recognized that we were brewing for an audience outside of ourselves. So um, having our tap rooms and having the engagement with our audience always opened our minds to new opportunities, ones that we ourselves may not have selected. And then it becomes an assignment, a project. You want to try and figure out what's going to make that person happy and what's going to make you happy simultaneously. And, and that's the engagement that our tap rooms offer us. And that's the admiration we have for our audience. So, you know, even though I, you can look at Victory as having initially delivered traditional beers, um, if you look at our Hop Devil, which was really our first commercial success, it was an English style of beer, originally IPA, it was brewed with a backbone of all German malts, and it was hopped with whole flower American hops. So it really did epitomize what Ron and I were trying to do in taking European traditions and European knowledge and um, synthesizing that 
into something for a new audience, an emerging audience, ourselves included, that would be delivered much more fresh than an import could ever do. So it was kind of a reset on what imports were in America. And that would be our version of craft when we came out of the gates. Yeah, and I mean, speaking to your point there, uh, you know, what, what Hop Devil was um, to you was kind of like almost what Dirt Wolf was to me. Mm-hmm. When Dirt Wolf came out, I was like, I was knee deep in bitter IPAs. That's all I ever wanted. And you guys put out Dirt Wolf, and that was just, I was like, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna go through this podcast without bringing up how much I love Dirt Wolf and how much all of my friends have had many. Like we've had Golden Monkey nights evolve into Dirt Wolf nights. Sure. <laughs> oh, I saw. I have a buddy that still everywhere he goes, if Dirt Wolf's on tap, that's what he's ordering. Yeah. It's, Dirt Wolf's hard to beat. Uh, you know, I, I have a great affinity for it, and it's always in my refrigerator. How about you, Richie? Um, I mean, it's in my fridge. Yeah, I, I like Dirt Wolf. I'm, I think I, I'm a little bit younger than you guys. So I think when I <laughs> oh, came really? in, um, you know, the... You Summer know, the, love. The, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the bitter wars, so-called, where uh, everyone was trying to make, you know, as bitter a beer as possible were kind of like coming to an end. See, Tom, and I didn't bring it up first. He did. <laughs> it was, you know, people were... That was like the start of everyone starting to make the hazy IPAs. So... Um, not that I dislike it. It's just, um, you know, my life, you know, growing up, you know, like I've always skewed more towards the, you know, hazier, juicier IPAs. So what are we, uh, what are we drinking next here? This is Braumeister. So I know that. This is the one I've been waiting for. Yep. Um, somebody <laughs> might be able to talk about this because he is the Braumeister. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'll. I'll just give the generals on it, actually, and and toss it back over to you. So we, um, when we introduced Prima Pills in 1997, uh, we had a handful of beer wholesalers working with us, and they were very excited to get another bottled offering for us. And when I told them it was a Pills, they were like, uh, no thanks. Um, And their point was well taken. You know, at the time, Miller Lite was advertising itself as the true taste of a genuine Pilsner beer. J.W. Dundee's Honey Brown, something Richie may have never even experienced, um, (laughs) said on the label Pilsner beer. And so our partners in distribution were saying to us, you know, you're walking into some really muddy waters with not nearly the marketing budget that these other companies have. This looks like a disaster. But Ron and I love Pilsners, um, and we were somewhat stubborn, so we went ahead with Prima Pils, and New York Times panel called it the best Pilsner in the world in 2006. And even going into that, um, you know, it, had, it definitely had gotten traction. So Braumeister Pills was our opportunity to do all the things that had been cut short because of our success with Prima Pills. So you want to talk about Braumeister a bit? Yeah, so Braumeister, how I perceive it, is almost a premium version of Prima Pills or a different version. So this is 5.5, Prima is 5.2. This is a single hop tetanang, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, we've done single hops. We did... Uh, rotating single Yeah, hops. rotating single hops of different, you know, German noble hops. Um, I believe you and Ron maybe have gone over and done some hop selection for that. Ron has done so on multiple occasions, yeah. Um, so this is just a different version of, you know, I guess our traditional Pilsner. So we talk about, you know, 
you know, Victory being a very traditional brew house or brewery, and you're seeing, you know, these, you know, cool new breweries now, you know, basing their entire business off of lagers, you know, and like, we've been doing this now for what, 20 years? Um, and I think that this is a kick-ass Pilsner that uh, can go up against, you know, a lot of other ones. Um, and being a single hop, you know, you get the true flavor of Tetanang, which is, you know, an awesome hop. All right, boys, Slancha. Cheers, Cheers. I've been just taking little baby steps over here while you guys have been talking about this, like just enamored with Tetanang. As soon as you said single hop Tetanang, I was like, <laughs> just back here sipping on it. Yeah, so if you taste this, you know, against Prima Pills, um, so Prima Pills does have Tetanang in it. But, yeah. you know, you can definitely tell the difference between this and Prima Pills um, to kind of pull out that Tetanang flavor. It's got a it's got a bite to it. Yeah, it's got that it's got that um, peppery characteristic that yeah, I always associate exactly. with Noble Hops. Uh, to me, this tastes very reminiscent of like a Pilsner Raquel. Um, you know, it has that it has that Noble Hop coming through that kind of gives you that, like Richie said, that premium feeling. Premium, yeah. Yeah, it, it it's just tastes like a craft Pilsner. Well, no one has to agree with me, so I'm, I'm happy to hear, you know, the dissenters, but I feel that this is a softer version of Prima as well, and that's oh. always been the intent, meaning that the hops fold into the malt and reveal the malt a little bit more quickly than you would get in the Prima pills. Okay. Yeah, with I think a little bit higher ABV, maybe there's a little bit of alcohol sweetness in there that, you know, balances out a little maybe bit more where the, yeah. the Prima is, you know, we talk about balance, but the Prima is, you know, showcasing you know the hops the german noble hops in there where this is more of a balanced version of a pilsner yeah now that you say that like folding into the malt is a very good characteristic of this beer um on the sip and i think pre with prima pills you get a little bit more floral character out of the mm -hmm. hops um with this like you said it folds into that malt and i think with the like the higher abv you get a little bit of a bite with the malt backbone on this one mm -hmm. as opposed to like the floral characteristics of the hops and prima pills kind of being the mvp of that stuff of that one sure and, and prima you know is a little bit more um multi-dimensional in that there's four hop varieties featured in that and now we're down to a single hop so you kind of do get that transition to be a little bit quicker uh, perhaps even a little bit more uh, smooth. Yeah. This is definitely nice. It's soft, like you said, soft on the palate. It's got a really nice carbonation bite to it. Um, it's got a little, I like to call it a little zip, you know, <laughs> right on the uh, right on the front of the uh, the palate there. You know, that first sip. Um, yeah, this is a really, really, really enjoyable beer. Ah, the old sip zip. <laughs> got it, huh? It's got pizzazz. So. Pizzazz. You kind of got into uh, you kind of got into it a little bit. Um, I usually ask, uh, you know, our guests that we have on, uh, their you know, desert island beer. You know, kind of what beer? If you had one beer to drink for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, I'd like to do a little variation on that. If you had to drink a, a victory beer, one victory oh, beer for the okay. rest of your life. I like life, this variation. What would it be? Oh my gosh! So I have to leave the island where all my children are with only one. <laughs> um, you know, as tough as, as of an assignment as that sounds, I am going to go for Prima Pills. Um, the reason being is uh, historically that's by volume 
the Victory beer I've enjoyed the most, which tells me there's something attracting me to it over and over again. And when I dissect what that is, um, what that is is the incredible balance of uh, hop excitement and comfort and resolution to the beer. And uh, I guess in my world, you know, beer only has to do two things. It's got to be exciting and it's got to provide comfort. And the excitement in Prima Pills is in the hops um, and the evolution of the flavor and the comfort is in how it resolves. It's, it, it's interesting because we always say that a it, Pilsner is a brewer's beer. You know, we whenever we talk to these brewers, you know, you ask them what their favorite kind of beer is and it's Nine times out of ten, it's Pilsner or Lager. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I R gave you Richie, a... what was your Desert Island beer? I feel like it was Prima Pils, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, I have a keg of that at my house. <laughs> yeah. I, feel, uh -oh. I was like, oh, God, that's exactly what he said. I was trying to go back to the previous episode, and it's so funny because you guys you guys are, like, on the same level here. It's like <laughs> it's like, see, it's like Richie gets to talk to Richie in the future every time. I mean, it's, Richie's it's great. I mean, yeah. We talked about the, uh, you know, we like low ABV beers. I mean, I love high ABV beers, but, you know, if, I love drinking beer. So if I'm going to be on an island, I'm drinking one beer. You know, this is perfect ABV level, lots of flavor. It's always fresh. Very enjoyable. And yeah. it's, it's just so interesting how, how Pilsner and Lager have made such a resurgence to, you know, the, the forefront. And like Richie had said, it, it, there are, breweries that are you know they're, they're making yeah they're you know you have one right around the corner at human robot that is making mm -hmm. their they're making their name off their loggers um so you know you have uh our, our buddies at breweries and pa or you know they kind of coined the year of the log yeah the term for 2022 and they're they're just beating it into the ground with every post. <laughs> um, you're the logger. And I mean, there is uh, so much validity to it. I think people are just, people have been burned out by the IPAs. The IPAs still have their place. They keep the lights on for a lot of breweries, but loggers are, people are searching out the loggers now. Well, that is a funny thing, right? I mean, like when every, when something becomes adopted and becomes widespread and everybody loves it, um, they also get off the train at the same stop. Right. When it becomes old, it becomes old for everybody. And by no means are IPAs in any form old at this point. But I do believe there is a tremendous opportunity for loggers. And I think the other thing, too, that we might be overlooking is uh, the folks that are probably having the most success with them are primarily breweries that are serving them in the taproom format. Right. So, I mean, a lager doesn't even though it's conditioned extremely well, it doesn't necessarily travel all that well. And I think that it is the taproom on-premise setting where these things really shine so beautifully. So Amen. I think that we're seeing a couple of things that are, you know, we really need to dissect these different trends because one doesn't necessarily influence all the others. No, agreed. And uh, you made a great point there. Um, nothing is better than a lager that's just fresh on the tap house. Like I've had tons of cold. Yeah, I've had so many lagers in cans where I'm like, yeah, this is great. But when you have it at the tap house and those breweries that do have that tap house mentality and are doing it fresh and we, you know, we mentioned them earlier right now with like human robot, like that tap house mentality, they've made loggers a novelty down there. You know, they've, they're bringing the side pool to the forefront 
everybody's adopting them in the area because they're doing it. So milk tubes, milk tubes, yeah, are the service it. style. I mean, they're really doing everything they can to express that on-premise opportunity. And, and that's fantastic. That's innovation. But it's also, you know, I, I mean, if you haven't had like a, a Miller light off of a, it might be sacrilege to the, our, our listening audience, but How dare you? a Miller light off a, a, off a copper coil tap. I mean, that's <laughs> nothing, you know, just a, a, it hits, it hits. Yeah, it's just like an outer worldly cold. <laughs> um, I had a paps off of an old like copper tap at a, a very old bar and man, did it just hit. It was so. I think there's also like, it's a whole new generation of craft beer drinkers now where like I'm at an age where craft beer has always been in my life. Um, you know, like when I turned 21, craft beer was already enormous. Um, so you know, craft beer, when Victory started, you know, the innovative thing was Hop Devil, you know, making, a, you know, an IPA with English hops and, you know, American, hop, American hops and English malt, you know, it was like very innovative, you know, and like it went then into like the Bitter Wars and then it went to the Hazy IPAs and then now like the Smoothie Sours where we've almost come full circle now where like people are, because craft beer has been in, you know, the customer's mm -hmm life this entire time they're like almost coming back to then the traditional and like kind of respecting the process of like um how this stuff is made and like seeing the balance and these you know these beers that have been drank for hundreds of years you know they held up over the course of time because you know they weren't you know some something so innovative that you know it, it had to die or get off mm -hmm. at a certain stop mm -hmm. yeah I, I think it's one thing that we've we've had kind of beaten into us over the course of our podcast with you know, we started out when we started out, it was the, the haze craze. It was, you know, flavored IPAs and, um, you, you know, double how high alcohol content can we get uh, double, triple IPAs. And then, you know, we're talking to brewers and we're, you know, what's your favorite? And they're like, oh, I, I like a good course. Yep. You know, a good banquet beer or <laughs> good, Miller Lite. Right. Keller, Keller Pills. <laughs> it, it's Keller like, Pills. yeah, it's like, and they're like, well, it's just so well made. And it's, you have to. You have to appreciate the work that goes into mm -hmm. a Pilsner or a lager. Yeah. It's a it's a process to make that beer, you know, that and it's something that you talked to talked about earlier is, you know, yeah, is it it's not really cool to like Miller Lite or Budweiser, you know, it, it, but the fact that it's the same every single time, you that that consistency, you know, you get a prima pills. It's going to taste like a Prima Pills. You know, it's that's a difficult thing to achieve is that consistency in beer like that. Yeah, I mean, to your observation, I would say that, you know, it gets back to what I had said earlier about how beer really only has to provide two things, excitement and comfort. And, you know, the the comfort aspect of it is something we probably crave more than we actually recognize. You know, we get excited about the excitement, mm -hmm. right? big floral nose, glitter in the beer, whatever. Um, and, and that's, that is exciting and it drives us forward. But at the, you know, in the final analysis, we really want the comfort of it. And, um, I think that that's important. And, you know, while I literally have the mic here, I'll, I'll give you sort of the, the perspective of the oldest guy in the room here at 58. But, um, what you're talking about in the evolution of the craft beer consumer and the evolution of craft beer was kind of easy 
for some of us to see in the early stages of the game, because when Ron and I started homebrewing in 1985 and got into the business, you know, just 10 years later, um, you basically had a battlefield of beer and on it was lined up the few remaining domestic big brewers. And on the other side were these crazy guys like Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada and Jim Cook of, of Boston Beer. And, you know, one was making rustic, exciting, uh, hoppy beers, and the other ones were making the industrial stuff that the audience up to that point had wanted. Yet in the middle was the big prize. That was the fat, rich ground where these two things could evolve to. And I think, you know, from where we are today, we're kind of reaching that middle ground where people can appreciate everything that's in the middle, um, that has attributes of both, but has now been elevated by higher quality because craft brewers made it frickin' happen. Amen. Yeah, it's the wordsmith of the <laughs> night right here. <laughs> I know. I could, I could spend Tom, all night I can't listening. tell. Does he have no cards under there? Has he been just... I feel like he had he that looking speech at his like hand. Up. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into this real quick. What uh, what are we drinking here? This is Imperial Cloudwalker. I have just been snorting lines of this over like. here. <laughs> just as you guys have been talking about the love of lagers, I'm over here just... Just as the resident haze boy of this podcast, just snorting this beer over here. Yeah, so as we just went on a 10-minute diatribe about all these traditional beers, here's a 9.6% hazy IPA with lactose in it um, and citron mosaic. <laughs> Cheers. All right, boys. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. My, my, my. Well, Richie, your sequencing has been phenomenal. That's a great thing to come come home to yeah i mean you're following up the uh the pilsner with this this really lovely double ip double ipa double imperial, whatever yeah call. imperial it's 9.6 percent yeah it, it really super juicy really reminiscent of that that new england style you get that nice citrus flavor to it soft mouth feel um Really, I mean, not. It doesn't drink like a like an imperial at all. I mean, if you gave me this and told me it was orange juice, I would, you know, I'd probably question you how old it is. But um, I wasn't I gonna. Would. I wasn't gonna say orange juice, but <laughs> I, I feel like I just watched a table of twelve down these beers over there. Like there were a bunch of twenty somethings that were sitting here earlier, and they were just downing hazies. And I'm like, it was probably this imperial because <laughs> the way that they all got up. And I was like, ah, they they went Cloudwalker. They went Cloudwalker on this one. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely that. It, it's that like lost in sip of sunshine, uh, you know, treehouse kind of style where it's just that very juicy. Uh, this is you know hype beer territory. Um, you know, great coloring. It's just all around one of the one of the better. Imperial IPAs I've had recently. I'm so upset that Yankee Candle hasn't come out with a hazy IPA candle yet. <laughs> just, just on the, just on the nose is, I think I enjoy hazy IP. I, I, I love hazy IPAs, but I think I enjoy them more when like my nose just dips in. I just like 
just the citrus smells that you get off of it. I, I mean, I would put that in a Febreze in my car in a second. That's a great <laughs> observation. I can't believe that Yankee Candle hasn't done that. What the heck? Yeah, I mean, um, if you're looking at most hazy IPAs in the market, most of them have probably 95% of them have either citrus or mosaic in them. This yeah. is entirely citrus it's, mosaic. It's the buddy cop of yeah. hazy IPAs. So you got your rigs and your Murtaugh, <laughs> and they or go together. They, you know, there, there's some Instagram uh, uh, accounts out there that put up the. It's like a, a Hallmark movie mosaic of, and it's just citrus mosaic, mosaic and citrus, citrus mosaic. It's just, <laughs> it's hilarious. But yeah. We digress. Um, yeah, the beer is is fantastic. So, Bill, as the you know the more traditional brewer, uh, the old guard. Uh, what are your thoughts on these the hazy IPAs and, and a beer you know the New England style IPA? Well, I think you know history bears it out that we sat by the sidelines as this trend you know burst onto the scene. <laughs> And we also did the same thing in double IPAs. Our, uh, our hop wallop, when it came on, was a little bit late, and we didn't even call it a double IPA. We called it a very hoppy ale. So we were being a little bit cheeky then, and <laughs> we were being less cheeky this time because the original New England IPAs, in our minds, were kind of a a backdoor solution to tap rooms that were trying to move beers really, really quickly. They were hazy for reasons other than design. Um, and then as brewers were challenged to produce these things for shipment, we started to see some ideas coalesce that we said, okay, now we can play in this. This is now getting to be a little bit more of the thing that we like to do. Uh, break something down, analyze it, and come up with the superior, if possible, version of it. And that's when we began the process, and the initial landing point was Cloudwalker. So what, what, what goes into the process of making, making a hazy in the style of victory? Uh, really sort of modulating things, modulating the consumer expectations, modulating the biases of the old guys like Ron and myself, and bringing in the new voices into our brewing team in order to help bridge that gap and come up with these things that work well. I feel like that's, like everything you said is kind of Tom introduced, like, you know, your thoughts on like the haze craze and the hazy IPA um, and how victory approached it was very similar to when we asked the same question to some other traditional breweries, you know, how, you know, kind of sitting on the sidelines, looking at it and like evolving and testing it and, you know, talking to Richie before and his R and D department, how much, you know, testing goes into making you guys want, you guys have a name out there. So when you get into this haze craze you need to make a name you need to keep that name out there well, there's and there's also expectations that go along with it you know it's victory is thought of as you know you're the upper echelon of craft beer and those expectations will be high if you're going to put out a hazy ipa where like you said a lot of bigger breweries were kind of resisting it we've talked to multiple people that were like, yeah, it was thought of as a fad. It was going to go away. There's a reason it's not in the BJCP because it hasn't been updated in six years now. But, you know, it was thought of that 
that wasn't going to be there. And then what? When did uh, when did um, GABF introduce the haze the what it, category what it, hazy category? Well, GABF now has like twelve different hazy IPA categories. Yeah, they went from having none to like twelve <laughs> in like two years. Yeah, it's it's insane how like one style. And I think it's just the American IPA in general, if we're going to go to the BJCP, how the American IPA just exploded into like the West Coast, the hazy, and the New England separating itself from the hazy. Because when you talk about Lawson's and you talk about Alchemist, there's no haze there. Right. And like yeah. those, yeah, those drink are. Drink straight from the can. Yeah, drink straight from the can. You know, those were like the sought after New England's. And then the haze craze came from that but made a name for itself where some breweries don't even call them new england's anymore they call them hazes yeah i think the point you were making about you know perhaps the the pressure to play in the sandbox or avoid the sandbox and dismiss the sandbox um you know i'll let richie finish the sentence but i don't think we create pressure on anyone but ourselves here um i think we're pretty very open in terms of getting to new solutions to satisfy existing and new customers. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of these breweries that are putting out hazy IPAs, you know, part of the appeal is that of that is they're putting out new IPAs every single week. Where like maybe they're not the same, not that they're the same IPA labeled differently, you know, but a hazy IPA could be very similar to another type of hazy IPA, you know, it's one type of style. So like, Yes, they're putting out 12 new beers, but they're all very similar. So it wouldn't make sense for a brewery our size with a distribution channel or our right. size to be making new brands like that. It just wouldn't be economical. And those, those breweries don't have an R&D department that's where the beer is getting tasted by a panel of people. Their like, entire brewery is an R&D department. Yeah. Right. And, and just like we're, we're talking right. about like these other breweries that are making these lagers or um, – these other beers that are these smoothie sours that are coming out now, they're like, maybe it makes sense in a tap room to do that, you know, because, you know, it's fresh and it can't go bad and all these other things. Can't blow up in the yeah. trunk of your car. Exactly. So the same thing about putting out new brands, a tap room like this is like the perfect opportunity then for us to then jump right back into this and just be pumping out new, you know, easy yeah. IPAs and every week. And I think it goes to just the, the standard that's expected of victory. It's You think of victory and you think of there's a standard of quality. It's going to be a quality beer. And that's why you have your R&D department. Yeah, that's exactly. why you have your We make those tasting. investments so that the consumer isn't taking a giant risk right. when they, they come to the beer. Yeah. Yeah. Victory has gotten to the point where you don't need to be pumping out it. Mm -hmm. a new IPA every week. And I, I, I hope for everyone listening, ourselves included, that none of this conversation sounds dismissive of these other models and these other approaches, because I think that's the beautiful thing about craft beer is like every entrepreneur who was a brewer showed up at a race and the starting trigger was pulled and we all ran down a different path. Mm -hmm. It was never a race against one another. It was just basically a race uh, sort of built upon our own parameters, our own priorities, and who we were going to be addressing and who we were going to be satisfying. So, um, you know, there's there's plenty of room for all these models. They're wonderful. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I still enjoy all of them. I still go out and support all those. <laughs> oh, them. yeah. You know, it was never meant as a slight. You yeah, know, no, I, I would say the, this whole episode has been just like, 
viewing these trends on an analytical yeah. standpoint. Yep. I mean, we especially we've, since I'm looking at what we're staring down the barrel of for the next beer. <laughs> we, we we've done a hundred. This is our hundred and sixth episode. I think we've done like a hundred and four episodes with the breweries that are putting out an IPA every other week. So, yeah. you know, we we have a great appreciation. And that's where that. real vitality is. I am an. I've always said I'm the hot master. I love IPAs. <laughs> I will have every single one, but I have great appreciation for lagers. I love lagers too. Um, it's just that, you know, I grew up in that time where IPAs were, you know, it was the hype that it got me hooked on craft beer. I mean, stout, I would say, you yeah, know, stouts and IPAs. Yeah. I mean, even port Baltic porters. <laughs> I mean, our, yeah, we, we've talked about a lot on the podcast, but you know, our, I think while Dan was just getting into the, the IBU wars, uh, I didn't want to say it. I know he said the bitter wars over there. So I, I let I let Richie take that one. But we, you know, we I say it too much. We started out drinking the the you know the Rogue Dead guys, the Broken Brawlers, the or not the Broken Brawlers, Yards Brawlers, uh, the the uh, the Storm Kings, the Troganators, you know, the darker beers. We wanted the darker stouty because that was the cool thing. Yeah. You know, sitting by a fire, everyone's drinking Paps Blue Ribbon. Dan and I are sitting there with you know glasses <laughs> full of black. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had to hang out with my metal friends, so that's what, like we'd sit around the fire, listen to heavy music. I'm like, we're gonna drink a dark beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a great vision of having a good time. So, what do we have in front of us now? Uh -huh. So, Tom, what's this, <laughs> this is our final, uh, our final tasting here. A final beer. I'm sorry, I'm not sending you guys away on a uh, <laughs> ship like I did last time. Um, so, this is Bromberry Goza. So, this is a uh, Goza I made here. Um, and then put a ton of blackberry puree in it. So this is our blackberry goza, brownberry goza, or uh, you know our Kirsch goza. Bill and I talked about this earlier. It's one of my favorites of mine. Um, it's a you know a cherry goza. Um, so you know I love that style. I wanted to brew something similar to that. So brownberry goza. Great. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Tom, it's not beer colored. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, my, my, my. Wow. <clears throat> I'm a, I'm a, for as much, um, as much guff that I give sour beers, I, I, I love a Gosa. I, I, I've always, I've always been, I've always been drawn to a Gosa. And I think it's because I have, I prefer more of a salty than a sweet. Um, and this is right in line with that. I, I was, Waiting for that nice salt kick, and you get it right up front. It's, it's you ticked all the boxes, yeah. Richie. It's definitely, it's definitely a gosa. Um, and it has that, it has that berry that is not overwhelming, and I, I think that kind of goes with the theme of what you were doing with the with the the berry monkey as well. Is that it, it's not, it's not up front. It, it it's true to style and you get that a little bit of a, a little bit of an extra in there by having that flavor kick. Um, this is a beer that I would, I would happily down a four pack of. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I talked about earlier, how I, you know, I, I love this job. It's like, you know, I have the freedom to, you know, play in the sandbox here, but you know, I have victory, you know, behind me, you know, I have all the support system. I have all the knowledge, the empirical knowledge of all the people that have like, you know, brewed here before me. Um, 
you know, so having the team, a full quality assurance team, a full, you know, seller team that's been making, you know, the number one selling sour beer in the country. And now Berry Monkey, Kirschko's, all these other kick-ass sour beers, you know, this beer, like I talked to, I was on the phone with people for hours trying to like figure out like, you know, what was the best way to make this on this system with, with what I had, you know? So I had like all these experts that I was talking to that are right at the tips of my fingers. Um, I'm proud of this beer. I'm happy with it. Um, and I think this is beer that, you know, I can keep playing in the sandbox with, you know, I can, you know, put some other fruits in it. Um, I think, I think Richie did a really cool thing with this as well, because it's, um, I would call it somewhat of a, a seasonally transitional Goza. Uh, the body and the heft of it is a little bit more substantial than what you really typically get in a really dry summer appealing Goza. So I think that he, he chose his moment so wonderfully as well in order to express this beer as is. It's, um, it's a really great way to move from dark winter weather into spring weather and i appreciate that aspect of it i think he chose his moment perfectly agreed and to highlight i think tom you kind of touched on it a little bit um there's a balance there's just an impeccable balance to this beer with the goza like with the berry the classic like salinity that goes with the goza and then it just there is a body to it that ends on like a very nice body after like the initial berry and the salt it ends with a nice a nice body that I would say is a good transitional beer for the season. Like this is kind of like the prelude to like the spring and the summer. Like it's, you know, nice weather, you know, for what, three hours out of the day and it gets cold again. <laughs> Go enjoy a Goza. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> this is, uh, I mean, I hope this isn't just kind of like a one and done thing because this is a, a, the first sip. I was like, man, I want to be drinking this on like the beach in Sea Isle, and he and he's the toughest crowd when it comes to fruited anything. But it's, it, I think it's a goza first and a and a, and a fruited beer second. Yeah, it's it has that balance. Yeah, exactly balance. It, it's got that great. The great thing about gozas is it's not super acidic like a like a kettle sour. It still has that very refreshing factor to it. Um, like it, 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 like I said, the salt. I love the salt in that comes with a goza. I, I feel like it's a very underrated style. Um, it's just it, it's something I, I think it's a perfect beach beer, um, but that's just me. Uh, I you like, also drink like imperial stouts on the beach. That like was a walrus. Yeah, that was one <laughs> one time, and it was a crowler. He drank a thirty-two ounce imperial stout on the beach. Twelve percent stout. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Yeah. He, he woke up the six lifeguards with a tarp under him trying to bring him back to the sea. <laughs> I, I felt like I felt like Danny DeVito at the end of uh, was it Batman? <laughs> Batman? Uh, oh, yeah. Batman uh, is two. Was, was it? it Batman Returns? Returns yeah, yeah. It was Batman. Returns. I just the black oozing out of me like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> like six lifeguards carrying you, just dumping ga- just buckets of water on you. We'll get you back to the ocean, little buddy. <laughs> but this is the goes to, like I said, it's just it, it's that underrated style that I think it's very approachable. It, it's uh, it's great. It's super refreshing. Very drinkable. Um, ABV is typically not too high on 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 these. This is five point one percent. So yeah, super. You know, you're right in that session area. Um, it's not. You don't get that. You know, you, you hear somebody say, "Oh, I dumped a bunch of puree and you know in this," and you think it's going to be sweet, but it's 
you just get that very that you know that very characteristic from it so yeah so part of that you know it is the balance you know like puree i did add a ton of puree puree is, is very sweet but you know it had the salt and it had the sourness so you know like those things balance it themselves out um and like what we were saying with like the hazy ipas where i can like keep putting out new beers you know this is a beer that this could be a stepping stone beer so you know next week i'm gonna brew a spicy mark sour beer you know so i took aspects of this before i added the puree i saw aspects of it that i could change and i think that i can you know go after you know some other crazy type of beer you know that i can adjust what i did here on the next beer yeah love to hear it and that's also a good statement on the the equipment and the brew house that uh is here for richie it really as he alluded to earlier it's a very much an artisan's setup um it's very hands-on uh, it's, it's state of the art and where it needs to be in terms of quality assurance and, and capabilities, but it allows him a lot of latitude to continue to create iterations upon things that he's learned from. And that's the opportunity that we've built here in our Philadelphia taproom. Yeah. Our first beer here, we did a Munich Dunkel. Bill was kind enough to come down and brew with me. Um, right before I mashed in, I was like having a panic attack. I was like, <laughs> like I think, I think everything is brewing up. a a Munich Dunkel with, yeah, with Bill. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was like freaking out. So no I was pressure. Like, I've, I've been working on like building this brew house and like overseeing it for months. And like this is like you know I've done some water brews. I've cleaned everything. I think I have everything ready to go. But like I don't know what to do. And he's just like, calm down. One, it's just beer. We'll be fine. Every people will drink it. Exactly. Two, everything is a learning experience. However exactly. much you mess up here, it's just the next time you don't mess those things up. So, you know, I've brewed now 11 beers on the system and, you know, I will continue to keep putting them out like every week and every single time I'll keep getting better and better, keep learning yep. on. And I think that this is, you know, this was my first sour here and I think that they're just going to keep getting better for me. And let the record reflect that Richie invited me to be a part of that. So he, he was <laughs> totally up for the challenge. That was like Richie's eight mile. Like he was like Eminem in the bathroom, just like <laughs> mom spaghetti and everything. I got to put the pressure on. <laughs> um, well... We're up against it here. Yeah, I was gonna say we had a full on show. Yeah, I mean it's tough because I, I could sit I know, here we and can, talk to these guys for yeah for hours. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, guys, uh, this was a, a very unorthodox episode for us. I mean, it's it just yeah, we usually have our set questions, our outline, and everything. But when we do the live shows, we want to we want the live ambiance to kind of guide the journey. And I think, I mean, the wordsmith of the night, Bill, is just. Yeah. He, he he's he reinvigorated my love of craft beer with like how he talks about it. so uh props props to bill on the, on the yeah, I, co I coached him up before he came on here, <laughs> yeah yeah richie prepped me really really well and behind that i've got a few miles on the tires so like <laughs> yeah uh, i'm like does he have somebody holding up like cue cards over there? i kept checking the bar to see if he had like one of those cue card things or what's the uh what's the thing that newscasters have the, the prompt, teleprompter teleprompter yeah. i'm like yeah. where is it <laughs> um but yeah, guys, thank you for for taking time out of your schedule. Um, you know, Bill, it's a, it's an honor to be able to speak with you guys, with you in particular, uh, uh, Richie. Richie, you're okay. Yeah, yeah Richie, you're all right. <laughs> it's an honor for me to speak uh, with Richie. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you for Rich to Richie for setting us up and welcoming us in. You know, wanting to come back on this dog and pony show and <laughs> yeah, always welcome. Not a Love best friends. Yes, four <laughs> um, best friends now. Yeah. Oh, I like that. New friend of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that's, that in a while. That's old school. Um, 
but yeah, uh, guys, uh, remember follow, rate, review. Uh, you know, shoot us a follow all major platforms. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, guys. It's best best friends pods. Uh, best best friends. You want to do it, Tom? Give no, one. I'll do it. One best best friends. P O D. Hell yeah. all right guys um thank you for joining us victory uh victory tap house in in philadelphia it's 1776 ben franklin parkway i mean can't get a better address than that it's 1770 really yes it is wow really paid a premium for that one didn't you (laughs) it happens (laughs) it happens it's now you got to come down for just just for that to say you've been to 1776 Ben Franklin Parkway. Yep, and follow uh, Victory Taprooms underscore PHL on Instagram. You see all of our offerings every week, all of our beer releases, all of the specials for food, all of our events. You will see it nonstop for the next week on our Instagram story. <laughs> of course, 100%. <laughs> um, so like I said, guys, thank you for uh, for. Thank you for all the guys or all the people out there who had to listen to us this whole time and not listen to music. (laughs) (laughs) We got a wave. We got one wave. Yay. (laughs) This is exactly like my first birthday party when they just invited the neighbor over. They're like, oh, nobody answered your invites except for the neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, except we have beer now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, guys. uh, This has been the Best Best Friends podcast in the world. We out. Sweet. Uh, you got to do the end song. Do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Best, best friends pod hosted by Dan and Tom. Best, best friends pod hosted by Dan and Tom. Best, best friends pod hosted by Dan and Tom. Best, best friends pod hosted by Dan and Tom. Did you guys ever debate over, like, is it Tom and Dan or Dan and Tom? Dan and Tom was the. It does. It sort of does. All right, that's a good one. And that too. Yep, yep. That's a good. That's a good backup. Great work. Thank you. Hang out with little lunchbox. You're in Cluggalay. Yeah, don't worry about this. I just Oh, no, yeah. Sometimes I'm astounded for some toxins. And this podcast is gone. So it's all for me. The best friends pod. Hosted by Dan and Tom. Cindy Crawford's a fan. 